My name is Dr. Austin Tay, and you are listening to Psych Chat. Hi there, welcome to episode 11 of Psych Chat. In this episode, I spoke with James Molly Kirk of China Select. James is a business psychologist who was based in Shanghai but now in Malaysia. He shared with me his experience working as a business psychologist in Shanghai and also talked about his Psychometric 2 TD12. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you have any comments or suggestions, please send them to psychchat at omnisci.com or tweet to psych underscore chat. This podcast is brought to you by Omnisci Consulting. I am very delighted to be joined by James Molly Kirk from China Select. Hi, James. Good morning, Austin. How are you today? Really good, really good, thank you. Good. Um, perhaps you could kind of explain or rather introduce yourself to our listeners. Um, sure, delighted. Um, my name is James Molly Kirk. I'm a, a British psychologist. Um, I've specialized in organizational psychology, but particularly talent assessment um, for the last 13, 14 years. Uh, I run a company uh, called China Select, based up in Shanghai, um, where we've been since uh, 2006, helping folks with uh, assessing capabilities and potential of, of future and current employees. I'm currently actually based in Malaysia, so it's a sunny day, even with a lockdown, um, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much my background. I think I've, obviously I've got some other stories before that, but <laughs> I'll keep those for the time. I'm being. sure our listeners will be very delighted to hear those stories. <laughs> we will get to that as, as we progress <laughs> in the podcast itself. Um, I mean, looking at your your background, you, you have a very colorful background. I mean, from from where you first started. I mean, you, you didn't start it out as a psychologist. You kind of gravitate to that. Yeah, a bit more on that side. I, I like the idea. I think that that organizational business psychologists are not pure academics because you know, like a uh, we are applied scientists. So one has to understand the area that you're applying your science to. Uh, and so, actually, um, my sort of career paths, multiple paths, 
um, started off uh, in the British Army. Uh, I got a scholarship to Sandhurst when I was just a young boy and uh, did, some t- did some time with the, with the UK uh, Armed Forces in Technology and Royal Signals Communications. Um, so plenty of time with helicopters and big green things, um, which was great, of course. And then that, that takes its time. And then I was so fortunate to join the Swire Group um, and joined Swire uh, in Hong Kong, was seconded to Cathay Pacific as one of their executive trainees. And I stayed with Cathay for, for eight years. Um, and that, obviously, you can imagine is a fabulous experience. Um, a wonderful company with 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 superb people, um, and the ex- the experiences of, of living and working around the world is is something that I actually got with the British Army as well. My my first job was in Cyprus, <laughs> so you know I've, I've always been blessed with with the satisfaction of my own curiosity to to live around the planet, um, and that then continued further after I, I left Swire um, around the. 1999, 2000, and I went to Beijing to study Chinese um, for about six months um, to really embed my my link to Asia. Mm. Um, and then uh, after that, I actually was back in the UK for a short time involved with the internet, um, startups and bubbles, which is just extraordinary period of growth and, and learning, um, and then decided to uh, hit the brakes and go back to university again. I got my master's in... Um, in Orgsyke at the University of Nottingham. And the moment I'd finished my master's, um, I flipped back to, to China, uh, to Shanghai. Uh, and I went to Shanghai rather than Beijing because I'd been to Beijing. <laughs> so literally just following more curiosity. And, and then I worked for a, a leadership development company um, called IWNC. Uh, lots of fun and games with, with them because it was experiential learning. And that took me right around China working with some uh, amazing companies, developing their leadership teams um, uh, and their individual leaders through experiential learning, uh, group group interventions and, and coaching. Uh, and it was then just that, that pure pull of psychometrics, really, that is the foundation of, of what org psychs do, our assessment capability, um, that drove me to, um, to set up China Select um, back in 2006. So yeah, a bit of a journey. Um, and, and now, of course, that journey continues here in Malaysia, where I'm, I've just finished a, a teaching engagement with the University of, of Reading here um, on some, some psychology courses, which has been, again, a, a wonderful experience. Yes, Personally, and I mean, it's, it's such a long journey that you, you have uh, shared with us. I'm sure you will continue doing what you, you are good at, uh, even when you're based in, uh, now that you're based in Malaysia. Now, I'm, I'm very curious what really attracted you to uh, set up in, in China, because you had experience in Hong Kong, and you were in China for a while. What what were the reasons for you to set up in, in China? Was there, you know, uh, immediate interest that Chinese uh, market was actually uh, opening up? Because at that period of time, when we were looking at uh, assessment work and, and, and uh, development work, uh, Hong Kong and China, uh, comparing both countries, Hong Kong has always been more on the forefront of assessment, you know, uh, embracing those work, uh, whereas China was still kind of a exploratory uh, stage. Uh, was it the reason why you decided to start in China? 
Um, of course, they're the same country now, as, as we know. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and yet, uh, you're quite right, still. It, it, they were very different, and still are in some ways, different economic and legal environments. And one of the challenges with setting up the business in China is, is that risk. Um, actually, there's, there's, entrepreneurially, there's a couple of things. The risk, the legal risk of doing so, and then it, it, it was much more um, risky, um, for the easiest way to say that, in setting up a business then, because you couldn't actually be a direct shareholder. So it's very much, you know, I mean, that sort of approach was, was very much against, if you like, overseas investment and investors. Um, but the, the real reason I think that drove me is because I saw the need. At that time, the people's understanding, of those people that I would meet, um, understanding of organizational psychology, the understanding of um, assessing systematically, fairly uh, evaluating people in a standard way um, with respect for them um, so as not to harm them unintentionally or intentionally through the process or the outcome. Um, it, was just a, it was just a very poor environment. And given that the country had so much potential, of course, so many people, who were being hired or developed, uh, which I'd seen face to face, um, the assessments that were being used, uh, as China does have a long uh, um, history of assessing people, right back to the you know, government imperial exams, um, and massive testing, of course, to go into school and go to university. I mean, they, they would test for hours. Um, sometimes to join a company, they just create tests that were just, it wasn't the content, it was how long it took and how many people they could put into a room at the same time because it looked so impressive and they were gender, they were you know, being mm. serious about it. It had nothing to do with what they were trying to predict. Um, and it was obvious that, even based upon my knowledge at that time, that with the connections and the global um, standards of, of psychometrics at the time, that, that it's possible to provide something. And I, I'd already, you know, been talking with with various suppliers back in the UK um, during my, my master's degree because of course I wasn't a, a, a normal student. Um, I was very business aware uh, and and was making like we said a bit earlier about making connections with people who might have solutions. And so I, through a, a series of conversations, um, I was I had a supplier who could help and was interested with an online platform. Um, and we could set up a server in China relatively quickly. Uh, and I found sufficient local contacts to, to make me come. Um, and that's what we did. So it was just that here's the opportunity. There's a need. There is some value we can do. You know, let's, let's give it a shot. You, you you were talking about uh, how how you actually set it up in China, and that was very very early stage of <clears throat> uh, the the, the two thousands. Uh, I'm sure you might have actually encountered a lot of different uh, 
issues setting up and also <laughs> how do you go about actually finding clients? Because um, as you just said, China is a big country. However, the experience or the knowledge of assessment is still quite uh, rudimentary. Uh, how do you encourage or how do you actually uh, identify potential clients and convince them that is the right way to do it? Yeah, it, it's a it's just a great question because at, at one level, in a typical entrepreneurial way, you 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 scan the environment, you you check in with people, and you realize, oh my goodness, yes, there's a real need for this, and so away you go because rationally, this just makes all sense. And then of course, the to get somebody to change their behavior, to change the way they think about talent, about people, about assessment, which will require some investment um, in time or effort um, or even some, in some cases, paradigm shifts. Um, and within the organizational structures and control structures of, uh, of these organizations, you know, the boss's attitude, the boss likes, you know, <laughs> he likes, uh, uh, you know, blood type, he likes horoscopes, uh, he doesn't believe in, and you'd come across a lot of this, we don't believe in personality assessment. Uh, based upon, I don't know, whatever they feel is based upon. And so you're absolutely right. To go from idea and uh, into, well, let's get a client and move, it is, it was, and in some cases it certainly remains, very tricky. Um, uh, so it's the typical thing. You, you, I realized very quickly I had to have local, um, a local partner to do this, or it's just not going to be possible. My Chinese is, is not bad, uh, but it's uh, my what the Tingli be what the Koyuha. Yeah. So it's it's and and it's it's the Guanxi and uh, and that that reserve reserve of these relationships that you need to get things going. And absolutely, uh, it's it's friends and family, it's ex colleagues, it's uh, classmates. Uh, these were our sales. Um, this is what got us going. And really, um, in some ways, it's a great shame because it's, it requires that level of trust and somehow there's going to be some payback in it, in the relationship to, to take on what is um, an assessment or a process um, or, or new competencies that are on face value and through evidence worthwhile having anyway. They don't shouldn't require a relationship to get you over that um, that decision point, and yet that's how it was, and mm. in some cases it still is, yes. which professionally is to me very sad, um, and yet you know ignore the human factor at one's peril. Uh, we are not necessarily pure logically you know driven in our decision making. It is bias, risk aversion. Um, and keeping us in a nice comfort zone that could be economic, social, you know, political, you name it. So definitely, uh, the, the way that we went in was, was through a local partner and then, uh, and again, for myself, calling in my relationships, limited as they were then, to get things going. Mm. I mean, I, I, <clears throat> I kind of, sorry, I, I, uh, it resonates with me about the way 
the Chinese approach personality because I, I went up work before to 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 Shanghai and people were talking about their horoscope, um, the animal type, uh, which is bemusing to me because you know, here we are living in you know 21st century where science is supposed to be able to educate people, uh, but people who are senior level are willing to take a chance on that and believe in a lot of uh, myths and folklore. Uh, but as, as, as practitioners like ourselves, I think it is our responsibility, I guess, to, to educate people as, we, as, as much as we can and, and, and show them what are the valid tools in the market. Uh, and of course, one of the next thing I want to ask is, you know, in, in, in what we do, we are always, always faced with a lot of psychometric tools. For us, we could discern the good and the bad. How would you actually uh, advise maybe the listeners of this podcast or even in general, HR practitioners, to differentiate what is the good and what is a bad psychometric tool? Uh, of course, it's a great question, Austin. <laughs> um, I think, uh, uh, I mean, that a, a typical business person who's who's got a responsibility or an interest in hiring the best talent that they can hire, the people who will have the best impact on their company and when we talk about impact we, we don't think about you know performance which is the typical single you know perspective people think about that's not actually the impact that a person has on your company they they have when a person comes in through that door um virtually <laughs> now yes just, virtually now. <laughs> um, you get the whole person the good and the bad on a good day and a bad day um, you know, and, and that's what you get. You get performance, that task performance, and that what was often talked about, the contextual performance, which is really now falls into that engagement area. Uh, if they're happy in the job, they'll do more for you. They'll help more people. They'll connect. They'll have more ideas. They'll share more, more of those organizational citizenship behaviors. They'll stay longer because they're happy to be there this performance and engagement is what you get and this is really important and you also get a third thing which is which is their dark side you know, which is these potential for counterproductive behaviors which you know on a bad day in the wrong situation are triggered because it's part of the person too but you might not see because they will never reveal those things to you because it's not in their interest when they're applying for a job so when we're thinking about um, a good psychometric test I don't think, um, I, I suspect that uh, a, a business owner doesn't think about a psychometric test. They just think about trying to hire a good person. And what if I get this person to do this or I ask them to run through this exercise or something, what will I learn and will I trust the results? And this is the challenge is when we just talked about belief. If somebody just does not believe, and that's based upon, you know, it could be <laughs> rooted in DNA, but most likely in childhood experience or life experience, mm. and somehow projecting themselves into their own weakness or fallacy uh, or, or, or a concern about their own um, limitations, that to accept that this might be true would, would be a threat to them. That's fundamentally where I come. When somebody says, I don't believe, that's because you're trying to protect something through that belief, which is obviously, from our point of view and science point of view, it's not valid. But it is to them. It's real. Mm, mm. So really, a, a, um, 
from our point of view, from the psychometric point of view, the science point of view, it's very simple. We have reliability, we have validity, we have in, in, in applied situations, we have differentiation. And that's how you evaluate at all. Is it, does it measure what it's supposed to measure? Does it measure it accurately? Um, are, is anybody um, in engaging with that tool or process, is anybody harmed or, or, or treated unfairly? Um, if the answer to those things are, are all, all good in the positive, then great, use the tool. As, mm. long, as long as then you can afford to do so and mm. with everything else that you're doing in the picture. So the science-wise, it's easy for us to do. You know, does it fit the context? Does it measure what I want? Can I afford it? Can I learn it? You know, what's the costs and rewards of doing it? The, from the, I think from the client side, from, the, from a, a business owner's side, it's, it's much more simpler than that because what clients tend to look at is the report. They don't read a technical manual. They don't look at the psychometrics and the science and even the theory. They look at the report, and if on face value, that pure face validity, can I understand what this thing is telling me? Does that make sense with myself and with my experience of people? Can I find some sort of evidence that fires up in my mind to say, oh, yeah, look at that. That's, that's true. Somehow that just triggers that oh, affirmative sense of control, that affirmative sense of even power that, oh, yeah, now I can see inside these people. Now I have more power over this, this thing. It's that sense of certainty. That's actually what to a client makes a good psychometric tool. It's not actually a psychometric. It's, it's, does the results match what I think they should be? that makes me feel more confident in my decision-making. Whether that confidence lines up with the actual psychometric qualities really are uh, two different universes. And the example, the simple example, is people who use tools that are very good in development contexts. We discussed these before. I think you know, DISC and MBTI are the classic global examples. Two very fabulously useful uh, structures to think about people and communication and yet psychometrically flawed or, or very challenged by a, a large amount of people mm. outside of those actual um, people who are actually involved in developing those tools and I think that's really where it lies people can use the MBTI for selection and believe in it and will like it and give you a thousand examples of why it's great yep. and yet psychometrically we know it's not actually helping their decision quality at all in mm. fact legally it's not defensible yes yes that's a bit uh, of a wonder around it but hopefully that that, that yeah it, it does i mean I, i'm with you in terms of, i mean we had this discussion before about typology and and traits uh i'm i'm definitely not a fan of a, a, a four-letter psychometric too because it's so limited in, in terms of scope in terms of trying to tell people and and i respect people who believe in that and respect people who who thinks those tools could help them in whatever yeah. they want to do. Uh, but as, as a scientist like ourselves, we, we as practitioners, also, we, we know the science behind it. And, and it's where we, we start to educate people about relevant tools in the market. I mean, we have both of us combined, we've seen many tools in the market and, and we know which are the ones that we should avoid using it and, and or perhaps also uh, encourage our clients not to use it <laughs> because of the scientific uh, um, 
uh, technical uh, manuals that we read and, and the, the evidence that we have on, on the tools itself. Um, and, and I think it's very important to, uh, to look at tools, uh, the function of it and why is the tool uh, designed or developed in the first place. Yeah. And for people who are choosing it, uh, though it's boring, they still need to understand what is re- reliable and, and what is actually valid. Because if it's, it doesn't do that, then it doesn't serve the purpose of why they want to choose a psychometric tool in the first place. And I think both of us would have seen a lot of clients wanting to do it because everybody else is doing it. Therefore, we want to jump on the bandwagon to use a psychometric tool because <laughs> it's, it's, it's the hip thing to do uh, and therefore we want to do it. But they have no sense of what is good and bad out in the market. And I think it's, it is important to be able to educate uh, uh, consumers because you know a, a caveat there is you can use any tool, anybody can come up with a tool. Uh, it's a matter of whether it's going to be, as you said, legally challenged or in, in a sense, be helpful. And I think that kind of brings very uh, well to the, my next question to you, really, uh, James. Now, I, I know that you, you your your organization, your, your company, has this uh, psychometric tool called t, uh, TD12. Tell yes. us a little bit more about what this, this psychometric tool is and what's the difference with this and the tools in the market. Yeah, delighted. Uh, the TD12 uh, is one of a small group of, of psychometrics that looks to uh, give insights into the dark side of personality. Um, it's the research on the dark side of personality is actually, a, you know, it grows out of the clinical psychology, of course. And so um, when we're looking at um, DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of, of, of Dysfunctions and Disorders, uh, that clinical psychology research is is massive. It is very long term uh, in its history, uh, and it was in the nineties uh, and and early twenty two two thousands that the question was asked when looking at personality disorders. How and and the the difficulty of measuring them because it requires a specialist. As, as you well know, to actually evaluate a disorder, um, how prevalent are they in, in normal people? If we could actually measure it a bit faster than having to, to sit through a, a long uh, interview with a, a highly trained clinician, how prevalent are these disorders in um, in normal population? And so various research, it starts to pop up that, well, you know, it's probably if we if we sat down and we you know, did our clinical interviews of, of a broad sample of, of the working population, um, you might find, you know, 10 to 15% of people would have a potentially clinical diagnosis of, of one of um, many personality disorders, of which there are, there are about 10, 11, depending upon the version of the DSM that they use mm. to, 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 to classify them. And it was this finding that that comes out and say, well, if that's the case, and we're hiring these people, what's happening? What they're not obviously clinically problematic, and yet they are extreme in some of the traits that they would be, the behaviours they would exhibit in certain times. So, are these people, you know, these the the psychopaths hiding in plain sight? Uh, is it the narcissists we've we've ignored? 
what are they doing to our companies uh, if this is the case? And, and this is where the research into the dark side of personality in normal populations mm. started to become. So the, the, the TD12 is based upon that clinical heritage, but then it evolves from that into like a normal trait questionnaire as the way to measure it. So it takes some of the behaviors that are linked to personality disorders, but then puts them into a context of a normal working person to evaluate. And in the, in the same way as most psychometric, trait psychometrics, the, uh, what we're looking for is to understand through comparison with typical behaviors, how extreme a person is likely to be. And simply put, the more extreme a person is compared to other people on these sorts of dark traits, then the more we should be worried about them and the potential impact that might have that they might have on our companies or the people working in our companies or on themselves in terms of performance or engagement or or, or just a whole range of problematic behaviors. Okay. Um, uh, you mentioned about this too. I, I, I remember when we were talking about this to yourself, you, you say it is actually a uh, an existing tool that you actually adapted for the market in, in China. Am I right to say that? Yeah, that's right. Actually, we we it was developed in, in 19... Uh, oh, no, 2000, about 2006 um, in Paris uh, by two professors there, Jean-Pierre Roland and uh, uh, Professor Pichot uh, at the University of Paris. And with the uh, Pearson assessments had... Uh, supported them and, and helped in that development. And so we had taken it, uh, become a, a publisher for them in uh, China and Asia Pacific. And we developed it in about 2009 to 2011. So all the research and development validation we did um, to create a Chinese version, for the mainland China. Uh, and uh, that process then, the validation process was absolutely fascinating. Uh, because we 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 got to uh, look at military populations, uh, medical populations, um, uh, academic populations, the teachers. Actually, actually, all these areas are are high risk. If if people in those those jobs have problems, uh, problematic behaviour, it can really have a, a serious negative impact for the people or resources that they care for. So that was fascinating. And we, we got to do research uh, in mental health um, and even got into criminal populations. So we're looking at the prevalence of these traits in people who were in jail, um, who had been accused of or found guilty of violent or nonviolent crime. Um, and it, 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 our findings tailored very much with the international research on, on prison populations, so if you go to a prison population and you test them for these, these sorts of traits, of which the TD12 has looks at 12 traits, you are highly likely to find in white-collar crime, these are business leaders who have committed fraud or theft um, from companies, obviously the companies who hired them, uh, then they're typically going to have uh, be high on traits related to narcissism or antisocial personality uh, and it's absolutely fascinating because to me uh, there was a, there was a, a survey done years back by PwC 
um, on global economic crime. And they, they come up with a stat that basically one in three companies are hit by some sort of economic crime. And of those, four out of five, 80% of those cases are inside jobs. Mm. People who are hired by HR <laughs> to perform well for the company, they ended mm. up committing mm. such level of crime that they were actually found and put in jail for it. It's extraordinary. These things are real um, and it's high level and low level. Uh, so the lowest level of things that we're trying to help companies identify the risk of and control the risk of. Remember, we're still talking about normal people here. We're not talking about criminals or, yep. or clinical people. It's just a normal part of actually hiring somebody because dark, the dark personalities are dark traits are part of all of us. You, me, we've all got them. The question is, in what situations may they be triggered and yes. what's the likely risk to the company and the people in the company if I have that bad day or if that trait starts to become yep. prevalent? Uh, because often those traits are actually really useful. A narcissi narcissism in a business leader is actually linked with performance to a degree. But typically too much for too long in the wrong time, that's when problems start. Uh, the same with antisocial stuff. It may be a, some sort of antisocial trait might drive people through problems and, and obstacles. And they just push, push, push. So sometimes hugely effective and sometimes appallingly ineffective mm. um, and this is really where the TD12 uh, comes into it uh, it's trying to give that insight based on on the research into some of the extremes mm. but then we normalize that and just say well let's have a look at the risk of this person of hiring this person what would they bring to you rather than what HR and and, and even org sykes tend to spend most of our time is this optimistic look at how well they're going to perform, how nice it will be to work with this person. Um, it's a very optimistic view because we're looking for somebody to fill that seat. Yep. To find the dark traits of somebody is actually very difficult to do because mm. it doesn't come up in interview. It's yes. the last thing you'll find. It's very hard to get through any other means except through a specialist interview or review in depth of their background, um, which is expensive and difficult to do without, without a specialist. But these trait questionnaires like the TD12 that are designed for selection, not just for development, um, really gets you this insight that is almost impossible to get in any other way. It, equally, as we, as we all know from the use of any psychometric, it's only a version of the truth as it's self-report. So although there are, there are, it's very difficult actually to fake these, to manipulate mm. them without being seen to be manipulative. It, the people who, who try to manipulate them tend to have dark traits. Yes. Yes. <laughs> they uh, and they don't actually realize what normal is. Uh, it's very difficult to fake these, yeah. these sorts of specialist questionnaires. But the insights are fab fabulous when you combine them with other information. Mm. Then the interview that you can have, if you're trained in, in, in obviously that uh, what personality and traits and, and talent is, then that interview is extraordinarily insightful. Mm. Um, and it, and it can, can help you properly evaluate the risks that you're 
it's amazing to hear how much um, sample uh, population you actually use uh, to do for validation study itself. Now, two questions really. First question is, um, I, I we we both know that there are there is probably another person who's actually looking at dark traits uh, in terms of the psychometric two in the market itself. What's the difference between TD12 and that particular one? And the second thing is with all this population that you have actually surveyed, uh, those are very very good data points. Uh, you mentioned that you have the publisher right for Asia Pack. Now you have done that in China. Where else are you doing validation studies and uh, uh, what kind of validation studies are you doing in terms of TD12 in perhaps in Malaysia where you are now? Yeah, thank, thanks. Um, the actual, back in that, so the, the, the 90s when the dark side research was starting, it really started from Bob, Bob Hogan, Bob and Joyce Hogan. Um, of Hogan assessments and they're just absolutely their work was fabulous and it remains fabulous frankly um, so Hogan developed um, they have uh, three tools in their main main battery if you like uh, looking around personality one is normal personality traits uh, bright side personality sometimes talked of which is a typical big five related tool. Uh, they have a motivations evaluation again, so looking at that motivational and values aspect of personality. And they have a dark side tool, the Hogan Development Survey. Um, they use these three things together pr primarily in development work. And the HDS, although it, it, it in the technical manual, Bob Hogan said in, in the early days of it, oh yes, this can be used for selection. Fundamentally, they never used it for that. And it was never designed for it, even in its um, the way that they would measure it in a questionnaire. It's very easily faked at that time. It's, they've just changed their response scales just two years ago, I think, or even last year, uh, they changed their response scales to improve the reliability um, and, and to make it a little bit more rigorous so it could be used better in selection. But it's fundamentally for the whole of its um, and again, with respect to Hogan, I'm sure they've got other insights too. Um, it's fundamentally been very useful and powerful in uh, and shaped for development. The TD12 is not that. The TD12 was de designed for use in the much more difficult measurement environment of selection. Mm. And secondly, for development rather than the other way around. And of course, as, as we know, selection and development really are in self-expression when you're relying on the self-awareness and truthfulness of a candidate or of an individual, uh, what a candidate will share and how they'll share it and what the individual on a training course will share are one simple, yeah. Yes. <laughs> they are different. In the TD12 itself, they, in our early research, they were different by up to a standard deviation um, measurement-wise, which, which mm. puts you in a completely different measurement paradigm. So the TD12 really, the, the biggest difference is um, is that, is designed for selection. It's very hard to fake. Um, it's, it's designed to do the, the harder the harder yards in selection. Um, and in fact, the weakness of TD12 in some ways is that it's not been designed, particularly developed for development. There isn't a, a pure development report, funnily enough, mm. for TD12. The focus has been so much on selection. But the good news is that's coming as well. So that's just an evolution. Um, I think it's easier to go from selection into development rather than development into selection because the, the environments are different. 
um, a much more hostile measurement environment. Um, they also, I mean, there's, there's minor differences in, in how they do their measurements that support both both sort of approaches. And the TD12 actually does measure an additional factor that that the Hogan assessment doesn't. But they fundamentally, they look, they're derived from the same clinical um, framework of the DSM and personality disorders. Uh, they approach them in slightly different ways. They pick up slightly different parts of the traits. Of course, that's that's important in the definitions of what's trying to be measured. Mm. Uh, and the TD12, I think, deals with them in a, in a more hard-nosed way. Uh, we accept that, that these are potentially problematic and we don't have to gloss over those problems. In the development way, the, the, the phrases, the terms in, in the Hogan tool um, are much more gentle. And they're designed in some ways not to frighten the individuals who will read the reports and and shouldn't you don't want to make them overly defensive of these things that are often very deep-seated uh, defense mechanisms um, yes so it's it's very different audiences for different purposes and i think that's the main difference other than you know slight measurement differences and and the td12 measures an additional additional factor so hopefully that's that's the difference um, That's great. But, I mean, to, to explain that the differences for, for the listeners and for people who are going to be choosing one tool over another, uh, I think if they're using a selection, it's good to actually look at a tool that will help them to do that first. And as you just say, TD12 itself will be able to um, review those uh, dark traits. And I think that will be very helpful for organization when they are looking to employ someone who might have certain skills that are a little bit high and to look at if they're going to employ this person, how they can train this individual person. We are not saying that this is a way that you kind of sift through your applicants and say, oh, this person has this particular high score on a, maybe a narcissism uh, trait, therefore we do not want them. I think it's very individual and circumspect to what the organization needs. Sometimes you do need someone who is a little bit high on a certain uh, dark trait because of the nature of the work. And I think this has to be clear to, to people listening to here. We are not talking about if you find someone who is a dark trade, please do not employ them. I think it is very individual to the organization needs and wants. And I think that is good to clarify. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a very good point. It is one of those fundamental, you know, psychometric point or psych points of, of, of doing assessments that um, th there's, there's no, ultimately, these are all normal people. And they're yep. all perfectly capable of if they're at the, if they're in front of you if they've applied then they've succeeded in society as society expects them to do so uh, and that's really important um, this is uh, additional information that's incredibly useful for you but the decision is really like any decision for hiring you're you're managing you're trying to make a prediction of likelihood what's the likelihood that the person's going to perform well enjoy working with you and and, and not become too much of a problem if things go bad or wrong or on a bad day um, that's what you're trying to do and compared to other people it's actually a very complex decision people have to make when you're comparing and by getting actual data you know statistical quantifiable data that allows you to compare and look at and raise your awareness of potential issues allows you to look at those things what's interesting about it i mean just how this additional insight helps, even if you're using a normal personality tool already, how the additional insight helps. 
Um, one of the validation studies we did for a, a large pharma pharmaceutical company in, in Shanghai was particularly interesting because they decided to just use the TD12 uh, for people who they decided to already offer a job to. Mm. So right at the end, they'd done their, their assessment program, CV and, and other screening tools and interviews and so on. And basically they got to the point, well, okay, well, here are the people we want to actually offer a job to. Now let's do the TD12, which of mm -hmm. course is never the way you want to do it. No. But it's the way they wanted to do it because they just wanted to see what would happen. And, and, and if the, the information, when they reviewed it in depth, any alert that was raised, um, and through those conversations and research that would follow, whether they would keep the same hiring decision or not. And it was really interesting. So there were 137 mm. uh, cases where they'd gone to hiring, and then HR had been trained in the TD12, and so we weren't involved in the process at all, not our team. And uh, HR would then look at the, the profile, and they'd decide, hmm, this is interesting. This person's trait on, uh, for example, again, we talk about narcissism. Again, there are other higher narcissism sorts of traits or a little bit antisocial or they're perhaps avoidant of responsibility or mm. very dependent on other people to make decisions for them. There's lots of these interesting traits that, that are out there. Uh, even even traits of, uh, they, they tend to have rather strange ideas um, about things that are real or not real uh and this is a, a, a another sort of a cut more cognitive sort of disorder mm. um the hr would look at it and if they felt when they're looking at the other information they got on the person there was a case to be concerned given the nature of the job they're going to do and the way they might be able to control or manage or help this person they're trying to think about this can we control this threat then they would decide to have a session with the hiring team, including the line manager, and they'd have to decide on the research to do any, go back again, what to do, and whether to proceed or not. And at the end of the day, and you can imagine this is this meets with big resistance because yeah. the hiring manager thinks, "Great, I'm going to fill my seat," and then HR is going, uh, "Rethink, relook, review, hang on." Let's just think again, based upon this new information that's just come in. They, they stopped one in 10 hiring decisions. This is extraordinary. So literally yeah. it's saying, if I, if I show you this information that you don't know yet, what's the likelihood that you, the hiring team, will change your mind? One in 10. Mm. So that's one in 10 hiring decisions. So literally that's, a, in theory, an improvement in your hiring quality decisions, the quality of hiring quality decisions. It's just fantastic. So it's very powerful information that comes with it. Um, of course, once they've done that study and they're all convinced, then they, they stop that and it becomes part of the normal process. Yes. <laughs> because it's yes. very disruptive. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it does show that, that um, uh, the power of, of insight but as you were saying and very important to stress again in their cases and again a good example of their cases some of the, the the applicants are highly technically skilled and they have very few applicants for a position 
because the skills, knowledge, experience is specific. There are a few candidates. And so it's almost like, well, this is the only person we've got who's applied. Mm. Um, and it's, it suggests that they, you know, they're quite passive aggressive. And we've explored their passive aggressive tendencies. We now realize that they do do these things. But what do we do? Do we just not hire them because they they tend to be passive aggressive to people they don't like or they disagree with them or who give them too much work or on a Monday? But at least we know the nature of their passive aggressive behaviors. So now mm. the question is, is not like you said, they're just high, therefore smile about, we don't hire them. No, this person has a great deal to offer us if we can control the risk. If it's worth the costs of controlling the risks are worth it. The rewards that we get by accepting the person as they are, as long as we can manage or control it, and ideally with that person's knowledge and awareness, then you may be into a good position. No problem. You're human. You come good and bad. We accept that. We can work mm. with you. We're all good. We're controlled. Come and join us, mm. you passive-aggressive person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it fits for the job. You know, I, I think it is important to stress that, as you said, because I, I have seen a lot of um, organization, when they get me to do uh, selection work for them, the first thing they will ask me, is this person the best person for the job? I said, well, I can't actually tell you that, but I can present to you the evidence. And then you look at the job itself. A lot of time I, I do that kind of matching it based on the job and, and uh, but I'll write the report and I'll feedback to the client itself and say, based on what I see for this job, do you have any, uh, as what you said, uh, uh, ability to uh, mitigate those risks or help this individual to develop? You know, while you take this person in, you need to be aware there are certain things they are not good at or they might exhibit certain things. How do you mitigate that? And I think that's where the work environment, the culture of an organization is also equally important. We, a lot of times organizations say, they always say, oh, we have a fantastic culture. But then when they get someone who is actually doesn't fit their culture, they start to go, well, I'm not going to have this person. And I think it, it speaks volumes of how people actually practicing what they preach. If it's going to be a fair assessment or a selection process, this has to be conveyed to the individual. And one of the things that is still contentious to a lot of organizations is should we provide a feedback to applicants? You know, if they don't join us, do we do a feedback to them? I think a lot of people have different views on that. Um, I personally, if I get an opportunity, I usually tell them what it is, you know, according to this job. And it's very job focused, job specific, and not anything to do with the individual, I pick certain things up from it and then go on a tandem and, and say, this is why you, you fail in, in the whole uh, selection. I think this has to be also ingrained in our HR and our organization. The processes is very, very important. It's not just taking one piece of information and then ignore everything else. And that person is not fairly judged or, or selected. And I think this is, is important when we talk about psychometric tools and how we use them for the right purpose uh, and, and not just use it because everybody else is using it and or maybe the psychometric tool is, is very colorful or it's cheap, therefore I want to use it. I think these are the things that organization or HR who are using psychometric tools have to remember why are we using it in the first place and apply it accordingly. Uh, I think that's very, very important. I completely agree. <laughs> I do agree. There's, there's some very interesting, um, you know, s psychological uh, 
ideas around people's relationship with psychometrics and and not just psychometrics with just understanding other human beings in a systematic way i i, I do find there are many psychologically constructed obstructions for hr and managers to embrace um, a, a systematic fair way respectful process of of trying to understand and match talent to their opportunity and their culture um, i actually don't fully understand why uh, there is the level of professionalism in something that's so critical to organizations uh, that the level of professionalism and i i say that in terms of what people know what people have been trained in how much they invest in is is still so relatively low compared to many other aspects of an organization if we look at manufacturing process controls engineering uh, financial controls and systems um, uh, legal operations management, incredible levels of specialization and professionalism you will find. But when we come to talent assessment, the evaluation of a human being's capability and potential to fit with the super complex and, and changing environment of our work and our job, while that human is changing, we, we, we seem so comfortable still dropping into belief and and brand and shiny mm. things and what others are doing rather than actually having a systematic well-educated approach to doing that essential thing yep um and maybe that's ultimately what what you know in the back of my mind too drove us into the psychometric area it's it's not just psychometrics which is the tools it is i think that approach and, and valuing of people that the decision that people, uh, the HR and managers, hiring managers have to make is an incredibly complex decision. You are dealing with chaos, the, the chaos of a person who's, who's in incredibly complex in an organization that's complex, in an environment that's complex, and all three systems are changing. And to do that in an unsystematic way is perhaps a, 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 um, a surrendering, like it's too complicated, mm. there's no answer, so it doesn't matter. Mm. Mm, we'll just mm. we'll just work on the actual failure rates we have, and if we can manage those failure rates, then it doesn't matter. Yes. And if some people come, we fire them, smile about, we just hire somebody else. Yeah. That's the only failure they have to deal with. Mm. And and funnily enough, as you know, in many even large companies, turnover and performance are still not properly measured. Mm. So if turnover and performance are actually the consequences of a bad hiring decision and we, do, we don't worry about measuring those things really clearly, then perhaps that, that illustrates why the hiring decision is not ever held accountable because we don't want to. It's not that we can't measure turnover and performance, is that systematically across organizations around the world, it, in, even at 2020, it's still not done half as well as any first year org psych student would recommend yeah so i, I guess we we have a lot of work to do there and <laughs> we need to go and uh talk to people more and in, in open <clears throat> uh uh sessions where we, we we educate people actually and and why we need to uh, assess individual uh more appropriately 
yes. and not just be be kind of piecemeal with the things that we do. And I totally agree with you the way how organizations are looking at turnover, performance management, whatever you are uh, not doing very well itself. And you know, I always find it very funny when someone is about to leave, then there is an exit interview. I always find those redundant because the damage has been done. <laughs> If you could have cheat, do something about it, this person is not going to sit there with you having exit uh, interview. I'm saying so. I mean, that that is definitely another bigger uh, uh, topic that we could talk about <laughs> in another time. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, in terms of uh, you, uh, the question I was asking, uh, what other validation studies are you are you doing, especially now that you're in, in this part of Asia, uh, south side of Asia, and are you working with anybody in terms of doing more validation studies for teams? Yeah. Thank, thanks, thanks, Austin. I really appreciate that as well because um, we are. Uh, we've had the TD12 is professionally the the most interesting tool that I've had the pleasure of working with in terms of, of course, the uh, its psychometric properties and and the insights you get. It's it's just so it is so interesting <laughs> view inside um, the the workings of of people's minds. Um, and helps in predicting their, their, their potential futures. Um, we have uh, we are looking beyond mainland China, which is great. So we're actually working now uh, with a team from the University of the Philippines. We've just completed the uh, Filipino version of uh, the, actually the, it's the initial um, adaptation of it. So the validation is going to begin actually next week because it'll be on. Oh, brilliant. So that's been great. Uh, we had a team of sort of five psychologists work with us there uh, to do that. Um, we uh, are also uh, working with the University of Reading, uh, which I'm delighted to say, yes. as uh, Professor Kylie Chang, who's who uh, heads the deliberate psychology uh, area there, is a specialist in criminology. And so she's very interested in forensic psychology and these aspects of dark personality. So she's going to be leading that uh, adaptation as well. That's starting now. And we're also looking to to develop um, a more focused version for southern China, actually, Hong Kong, Macau area, uh, Guangzhou, if you like, um, through a collaboration um, with uh, a professor in, in Macau as well. So that's just just coming to fruition. Um, we're, we're really looking for uh, any uh, anybody who's who either has an organizational psychology background uh, from a org site consulting company um, or uh, a university professionals who or, or just again independent researchers who would be interested to research dark personality for use in organizations in their in their country. There is no doubt that. Uh, as we know that for any psychometric tool, it must be contextually relevant. Uh, the uh, measurement must be seen through the local culture uh, and via the via obviously that that language component. Uh, and so it's critical that we we do for something that's so sensitive and so important uh, that we we research it fully um, so that there is a, a, a good scientific basis. That can guide practitioners and give them the confidence that yeah this is meaningful it's real mm. again it's a, a a very good reference point that 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 companies can use when they're evaluating uh, the impact potential impact of a of, a, of an employee 
And equally, I, I should say, again, it's, it is for development as well. So we're looking at, at these factors that are involved in the derailment of people. Uh, typically, it's talked of in terms of leadership. Whereas people grow through their organization over a period of 10, 15 years, they grow and change. And those traits that may have helped them succeed may become a problem at higher levels of leadership. And so to make them aware of these potential dark dark traits for themselves can be incredibly liberating and, and, and a powerful thing for them to stop their career from going off track. Um, so again, that research is essential too. Uh, so we are looking for anybody out there in, um, in podcast land to, uh, to help us with that. Sure, I, I'm sure some of the listeners to this podcast will be, uh, be interested. What I'm going to do is to perhaps leave your uh, contact details in the show notes so that people who are interested to collaborate with you will be able to contact you directly. It's really kind. Thank you. Yeah, you're my pleasure. Well, it has been fantastic talking to you. I mean, I've learned so much from from what you've been doing, you know, what, what you have done and, and what you're continuing to doing uh, in terms of the uh, TD12. Uh, I'm sure we are going to have lots of questions from our uh uh, listeners and, and uh, hopefully they will be able to help you in, in kind of developing this uh, psychometric tool wider and uh, everybody else in, in the region could actually use this and who knows might be actually applicable somewhere else beyond Asia. Absolutely uh, actually there are fortunately there are European versions and so on and of course the English version is is available as well so it's it, it all that creates a bigger scientific um reference points for us all as we apply them locally but applying it locally is key but based yeah. upon you know global knowledge is is what the world's all about these days so that's great yes especially so much. now where everybody is kind of uh, connected you know remotely and what have you uh thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me james and uh, uh we hope to perhaps have another opportunity to talk to you again absolutely fantastic thanks austin thank you no problem my pleasure